We want to acknowledge that ONN's office is located on the unceded, unsurrendered territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendez people. We know that many listeners are across Turtle Island and occupy different lands on, in Ontario. And we want to encourage you to learn about whose land you're on. And the first step is accessing the resource nativeland.ca. Welcome to Digging In with ONN, a podcast that focuses on issues that matter to the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Yemi. Digging In with ONN is a podcast that discusses public policies and systems change with a focus on decent work. We use an intersectional lens that centers racial justice, truth and reconciliation, and equity practices. This week, I am super, super, super excited to be joined by Roland and Noah, who work at the Enchante Network. I'm going to let you folks introduce yourself and the amazing work that you do at the Enchante Network. Welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having us, Yami. So hello, folks. My name is Noah. My pronouns are he and him, and I am the programs manager with the Enchante Network. I'm very excited to be here. A bit about me, I am a millennial Black trans man who has a real passion um, for community spaces and for creating dialogue and spaces that empower to us LGBTQI communities, but specifically Black and Indigenous um, communities. Super happy to be here, Yami. Hey folks, my name is Roland. I use he and they pronouns. I am Soto Cree, originally from Saskatchewan, but I am uh, recording this from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Nation. I am an artist, a sex educator, a educator, and generally have been working in LGBTQ plus work for the past however many years, uh, like decade, decade at this point. <laughs> yeah, a decade at this point. Um, I am two-spirit, I am trans, and a lot of that informs my work and how to navigate the in-between of what it's like to be an Indigenous trans person as well as uh, navigating just the nonprofit sector. Thanks so much for the anchos. I know as you're listening, you're super excited as I am to dig into not only talking about decent work, but the 2SLGBTQ sector. And before we begin, just because I know that our listeners' knowledge is, don't want to make assumptions about uh, folks' knowledge around terminology and understanding a framework. So maybe I'll start with you, Noah. Can you break down what 2SLGBTQ is as an umbrella term? And then Roland, I'll ask you to to define, and I know that there's many definitions around Two-Spirit, just for our listeners. For sure. When we're referencing 2SLGBTQ, we're referencing um, the queer and trans community. It's an umbrella term. It's an acronym, as Yami mentioned, to sort of like explain folks' identities and lived experiences and navigating gender and sexuality. So in really tangible terms, LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex plus. I think at the Enchante Network, it's really important for us to name and include the I as intersex communities are here and exist. And of course, the plus as our identities are infinite. The acronym is growing, at least in my experience, every year, frequently, all the time. I'll pass it to Roland as well to touch on. So two-spirited, and the word two-spirit, is an umbrella term that acknowledges that uh, pre-colonization, 
a lot of indigenous communities already had an understanding of gender and sexuality. And throughout the process of colonization, those things were taken away from us. Really, it is supposed to be a term in this, really similarly to the word queer, but it's supposed to encompass a lot of other LGBTQIA plus um, understandings of how we explain gender and sexuality, but with the understanding that the intersection of being indigenous and also acknowledging pre-colonial indigenous roots is really that differentiation, and it is something for Indigenous folks. However, I'm not someone who particularly likes to police this word. I know Two-Spirit can actually have a lot of different meanings for folks throughout the Two-Spirit community. Uh, and I think it's important for me to say that because Two-Spirited for me will have a very different meaning than it will to another person. For me, Two-Spiritedness connects me back to community and allows me to use my gender as a tool to be able to teach other folks. While for other folks, I know um, that two-spiritedness is that representation of um, being LGBTQ or being queer, being gay, and the experiences of navigating the HIV crisis during the times it was rampant in, in the early 80s and the 90s as well. Who am I to police another person's experiences around that word. So I think it's important for me to make that differentiation and to know that it is just a word to kind of reconnect our communities in present day, knowing that colonization had been that tool that separated us. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if I can add on that a bit, you know, it's really always a pleasure to work with Roland. And I think through understanding and having discussions and dialogue around two-spirit experiences and identities, I think it provides the opportunity as well to look at the term to us LGBTQ and the definition I gave earlier and really position that and, and, and let folks know that although the terms are, are very kind of, we don't want to oversimplify folks' identities and experiences with that acronym. So in the same way that Roland just explained, I think that there's a different interpretation for all those letters under the umbrella, depending on how folks feel about that and how they interpret that for themselves. So that's super important to know as folks listen as well. And that queer and trans are the words kind of like used interchangeably with to us LGBTQ as well. Thank you for that. Because I know that some listeners may be thinking, well, the term queer is offensive, when in fact it's been a term that has been reclaimed by many communities and is also very individual, right? I know our generation tends to lean into it, but older previous generations lean less into it because of its meaning and context during the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and whatnot. Thank you for that. On that trajectory, I'm curious if you could share some statistics around the workforce in relationship to 2SLGBTQ communities and the work that Enchante is doing to, to capacity build. And I think when we talk about the nonprofit sector and 2SLGBTQI communities, the thinking and exploring decent work for our communities is very important. TransPulse, which is a, a data agency here collecting for the first time in the past couple of years, actual statistics on the trans and, and non-binary communities. They release many, many good um, studies and reports on our communities. And some highlights from there is a report they, they released identifying how 37% of trans folks um, who participated in a study um, have full-time jobs. So it's like 37% of folks have access to kind of like full-time work, right? And there are many other statistics that you can check out through TransPulse, but all of them really demonstrate that, you know, access to 
we talk we can talk about access to decent work right but access to work is is something that is not actively present for trans and non-binary communities getting an interview going through the interview process those things look very differently for our communities so this is a very relevant conversation for our communities in the enchanté network our goal is to support and connect our members and our members are 2s lgbtqi organizations across canada we are a new network we're we're growing all the time but we're about two and a half years old and but before our existence the 2s lgbtqi nonprofit sector was existing in silos right so we were all doing similar work but we were all really isolated in doing that work not only that we were we're all dealing with similar issues of underfunding and and precarious work and really doing a lot of hard work on a voluntary basis and so through the enchanté network we try to connect folks who are doing similar work we have a capacity building program where we share different resources workshops and trainings to support our member organizations in building their their capacity to serve their communities we have a networking program where we attempt to facilitate connections between our members who are doing similar work or who are coming from similar lived experiences we have a mentorship program to connect um leaders in the sector with with our membership for capacity building we have a micro grants program that operates depending on funding but it's a really accessible granting opportunity for our member organizations who are looking to increase their funding capacity and we we advocate as much as we can so we have reports that we released on on access to funding for 2s lgbti organizations and various panels and such we we host for example we we just uh, got off hosting a panel on continuing the mem- momentum after the conversion therapy ban in the country so we do our best to sort of talk about these issues and support and connect our folks as much as we can. I I really appreciate the work that you do and the statistics that you provided at the beginning because with decent work we're often thinking about, you know, as a prism, employment opportunities, access to pay transparency, equity in the workplace, benefits, and what's interesting and also deeply problematic in a chronically underfunded sector is that to begin with, the work and the statistics that you've referenced are naming a reality that first trans and non-binary folks need to be hired to even think about the dimensions of, of decent work that can apply to communities. Roland, I'm curious if we could just transition a bit to your role and the work that you're doing with Two-Spirit Communities with the Enchante Network. And I know it's in the early stages, so TBD, everyone on the amazing work that's going to be happening, but for folks that may be curious about it. A lot of the work that I, I plan on doing alongside with NOAA support is really finding ways to uplift and support the efforts that Two-Spirit organizations are, and folks who are already our members, supporting their efforts that are already in existence. One of the things that I think is important as a non-Two-Spirit organization is to actually not um, step on any toes and to not overstep acknowledging that, yes, We're an LGBTQ organization. We aren't a two-spirit organization. We should not be the forefront when it comes to talking about these things. And as a two-spirit person in this role, I understand how important that is and to not take away from folks that are really doing the grassroots work. I am a lover of being able to share information. Maybe it's a Gemini trait. It totally is. But I really, I love sharing knowledge. I actually do. And I think one of the things that I've learned is working in LGBTQ organizations 
can sometimes be really inaccessible for other Two-Spirit folks. And I want to be able to gather the knowledge um, that they have around grants and being able to actually create some sustainability for Two-Spirit organizations and funnel that information to them and, and really create a network of support where we can create circles where we rant about what it's like to be a Two-Spirit person working in white organizations, as well as working with, with our own people. Because unfortunately, like Indigenous non-Two-Spirit or non-LGBTQ organizations still hold a lot of homophobic and transphobic views, even if they're Indigenous. So oftentimes I don't really know, even as a Two-Spirit person, the struggle is often like, how do I be queer, trans, Indigenous in one place and feel all parts of myself are welcomed? Unfortunately, that space is not often um, given to, to me. So I know that and I want to be able to create sustainability in these spaces and funnel that information into these groups because I think they deserve it, but never taking credit on behalf of them to uplift their voices and bring their needs forward so we can get funding and future opportunities for them. That, that That's really kind of where I see this, this role going, not necessarily ever being the person in the front lines. But on a national level, like, yes, we do support LGBTQ organizations, but we will not speak on behalf of people if we don't have the authority to do so. I really appreciate that framing because I think a lot of the time it can be very easy to, to find ourselves in that position where we speak for when we are the only one or even if it's a collective of us that's really small and, and that perspective around the complexities of working in 2SLGBTQ organizations, working in settler and white-led organizations, and also working in communities that are our own that at times there's those dimensions of homophobia, transphobia that, that still manifest. You know, just continuing on that trajectory, I'm curious if you could share a bit about some of the internal practices that Enchante is taking to mirror what you want to advocate within the sector. Just to go off of some of what Roland was saying as well, I think that he really identified something very important that myself as a, as a Black person as well, like these experiences come, can hit differently when there's intersecting identities that are going on. So the when we talk about to us LGBTQ communities, again, not speaking for the community, but just speaking off of our experiences, of the isolation that can come about when you are a person of color, when you are Black, when you are Indigenous doing this work, and what it means um, to be visible and doing this work as a Black person, what that means around safety, etc. At the Enchante Network as an organization that is positioned as, as a queer and trans national organization, we try really hard and are very intentional about our workplace culture. So we have an evergreen document on workplace culture that really identifies how we want to think about the culture of our work, how we want to implement anti-oppression and equity into the way we work, and how we want to think about boundaries and, and conflict in our work. These are all things um, that are very relevant. Again, I, I was going to say statistics, but oftentimes um, with marginalized communities, data, data justice and statistics are not always there to sort of back things up. But the reality is that our communities come to the table with lots of joy and lots of gifts, but also 
because of marginalization, oppression, colonization also come to the table, not with the same footing as maybe some of our, our white queer counterparts. So it's really important to name that and move with that strength and really try to create a culture that acknowledges that it's okay to take a break that burnout is real and then how do we process and work through all those things so we can work together in a, in a good way mm -hmm. can i ask what that evergreen document is are we able to share it as a resource so so it's not it's not ready for sharing yet it's inspired by the happiness manifesto by frida i don't feminist my, fund yes the feminist fund for yes it's inspired by wow. that yes completely very cool Okay, as it becomes available, we'll make sure to share it with our network. Super exciting. Moving into our last question, I know that a lot of listeners may be feeling like, okay, so we're not a 2SLGBTQ organization. We are extremely interested in taking an intersectional approach to embedding practices of decent work. And I know we, we talked a little bit about this. <laughs> of, I often struggle with prescriptiveness when it comes to doing any type of equity-based work. And also, as someone who is non-binary, as someone who exists on many um, you know, dimensions, I also have witnessed how our sector has a long way to go when it comes to centering the needs of 2SLGBTQ workers. Knowing that we're on the trajectory of talking about decent work and, and, and cautioning prescriptiveness, I'm curious if you folks anecdotally can share some tips that organizations who are either new to this journey or have been doing it for a while in terms of gender inclusive as well as trans inclusive practices. I think on the bare minimum, being able to have and rewrite policies around bathroom accessibility being incredibly important. I think this is particularly something I've struggled with a lot within Indigenous organizations, but also as someone who has like gone through the process of transitioning, but still kind of looks like I, I still get, I guess, identified as both genders a lot of the times. The bathroom has become like a significantly huge place of anxiety. So making sure that I actually have a space to use the bathroom, I think is just like a bare minimum. And and I'm speaking a lot to like organizations because like, of course, like we know organizations who have been here and doing the work for a while understand that. But there are still a lot of organizations that, for example, that might not necessarily see the importance of that, which is why I still think it's incredibly important to share. Those are things that I think of and just obviously diversifying policy to be like more inclusive of trans folks. Sometimes I see this as organizations losing gendered language within their policies, like very, very, very basic, but yet... So many folks' policies still have like she or he, and we understand gender actually goes beyond that. But I think it's oftentimes like people in the in-between and like being non-binary are usually the ones where there's a little bit of more nuanced discussions that are needed. Um, but I know like Noah has definitely a lot more to say on, on this. I, I just think it's still always important to unfortunately continuously bring up the bathroom because we all have a non-gendered bathroom in our homes. So why can't we integrate that into our organizations? Yes, exactly. I think what Roland identified in having a bathroom, having a toilet that somebody can use during their work days is super simple, but it's not happening sometimes, right? So how can we turn these things we, we, we discourse about, we theorize about, how do we turn these policies into action? How do we operationalize 
policies that would be affirming to gender diverse communities, to, to us LGBTQI communities? How do we actually operationalize that to create safer spaces and affirming spaces? for queer and trans workers. I think about things like, like Roland mentioned, your bathrooms. You might have a policy, but implementing the policy means that you're removing the gendered aspects of your bathroom or you're allowing access to a gender neutral space for staff, right? It goes as simple as like, like Roland said, like forms. Are you including identities outside of the binary that we know as, as she and her on your forms? Then it goes to things like if staff are having to come in and access your services in like a physical building, for example, will they possibly be met by maybe security guards or other staff that might work in the building who might not be on the same page with the policies and procedures of the organization and might engage in, in like harmful misgendering or, or behavior that might make folks uncomfortable? I think the overarching message here is that like, I know that I hear a lot in the sector, we want to encourage and empower folks who are quote-unquote marginalized, folks who are of color, folks who are to us LGBTQI, to be in positions of leadership, to come work with our organizations, to create these dialogues and to be at the planning table and have these things. And I, and I want to encourage folks, before you encourage folks and before you have that desire to, to want to have these folks at the table, to ensure that there's safety, to ensure that you're thinking about how to operationalize that, to ensure that you're not you're welcoming folks, but you're actually welcoming folks in a good way. And you're welcoming folks in a way where they're not going to be overly shocked <laughs> that they might experience a bit of harm because maybe you you were not ready to let folks in because you did not have that, that capacity to sort of operationalize some of those things that need to happen for folks to feel good, right? Those are all things I think about, right? So just doing the work and then welcoming folks and building those relationships with folks is super important. I think that's been such a huge theme of the conversations that we've been having on the podcast around decent work is really creating the conditions for people to thrive. And I think you've both eloquently spoke to, to the ways in which organizations can operationalize that and that it is a continuous process that requires not only education, but really putting practices into place and recognizing that if, for example, you misgender someone, that correct yourself and move on, that these are the dimensions of what it means to be in a decent workplace. I think sometimes we get so fixed. I know that sometimes collectively we can get fixed, as you folks have talked about, in, in naming policies and practices, but then the operational pieces fall short. I'm wondering if you two could share parting words for the sector to think about, a question that you want to put into the center for the sector to think about as we close the episode out. One of the best quotes that I feel like I've heard around allyship was from Kim Katrin Milan. And she talked about allyship in a way where she says allyship is a card um, that you get every morning when you wake up. It's not something that you just continuously have. Like allyship is a verb and something that you continuously need to renew when you wake up in the morning. And I think about that a lot when I think of folks who are in the sector, for example, and trying to find ways to be more gender inclusive. I think it takes a lot of intention to be able to actually like implement these things. So I guess my question is on an ongoing basis, like what are you going to do to ensure that you can renew that card every morning when it comes to allyship? And we understand even within our own identification cards, like you do not get an identification card that does not at some point expire. So allyship is an ongoing um, 
it's an ongoing process. So what are you going to do to ensure that you're going to be a part of that process? That is like a mic drop. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop for sure. (laughs) For sure. I would echo that. Honestly, I would echo that question, that challenge to folks who are listening. I would also add that there's um, 2S LGBTQI work in organizations and then there's there's like just the nonprofit sector, right? We're in a new reality, right, where these bridges are being formed. We're moving more towards bridging 2S LGBTQI and cis straight kind of work happening simultaneously together in a good way. As organizations maybe who are not specifically 2S LGBTQI, what resources, what access to resources, what access to funding, what do you have that maybe you can share with 2S LGBTQI organizations to support them in bringing them to the place where they have the capacity to serve communities like some cishet organizations do, right? How are we leveraging, like Roland kindly said, like how are we leveraging allyship and resources and support and access to those things to organizations that might be a bit more marginalized? So just thinking about the possibility of support, we're here. Like as we mentioned earlier, the statistics around trans and non-binary communities and unemployment, folks want to work in this sector. Folks are really excited. Trans and non-binary communities, LGBTQI plus communities, we have so many gifts. We're so talented in so many ways. The simple work that it takes to just affirm us, listen to us and and welcome us, I think would be beneficial to the sector in general. I just want to leave with a final point that it's okay to make mistakes. And I think that sometimes I often feel like some of the barriers that exist, exist because folks are scared or they have fear around engaging in conversations out of fear of maybe making a mistake or seeing something wrong. This whole concept of like being a snowflake or something, right? And folks are not like that. Like folks, like, like it's okay to make mistakes. Moving through things with transparency, honesty about where you're at really kind of supports folks to want to stay and to want to do the work together and build an understanding together. If that is a barrier, it doesn't have to be. Folks are very gentle and we really just want to exist as our fullest selves. And the opportunity to do that is is amazing. So, Really want to appreciate uh, the knowledge that you've shared. I am so, so, so grateful for you folks taking your time. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into the episode. Um, I'm your host, Yami, and Kavita will be joining us in future episodes. We hope that you were able to garner knowledge on ways that you can start to think or rethink or continue the work around embedding practices of decent work from an intersectional lens to support 2SLGBTQ plus communities and join us for future episodes as we continue to dig into issues that matter to the nonprofit sector and make sure to share, rate, subscribe so that you're the first to know about new episodes and Monday are live. 